welcome to Podship Perth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. This week, we travel to the West Bank city of Ramallah and to the small Palestinian village of Betilu to talk with Dr. Abdel Rahman Tamini and Tahanadi Beda about the current state of water in the West Bank. My mother's brother, Robert Becker, who I called Uncle Bobby, came to Israel in the 1970s as a doctor. He worked at the Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem. Bobby was one of the few doctors who routinely traveled to the West Bank. This was only a few years after the Six-Day War, and a lot of help was needed, as it is today. He cared for the children, those who were sick and very scared, those who were living under the constant shadow of a trauma, such as terminal cancer or open-heart surgery. He felt and lived their pain. He bought them the toys they always dreamed of, and for those who died, he went to their funerals. He had no barriers. All were his children, Jewish, Arab, or Christian. He was a believer in God and humanity. He was selfless. He treated them with respect, patience, and care, and they in return were honored to make him fresh mint tea that he loved. He fended for them and became the voice they never had, even among their own people. Robert died of a heart attack on February 19, 1981, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, while on sabbatical away from his beloved Holy Land. This episode is dedicated to his memory, and his wife, Shoshana, and his two wonderful daughters, and my first cousins, Mayan and Imbal. Cousin David and I were told by everyone we talked to in Tel Aviv that it was just too dangerous for us to travel to the West Bank. But we, like Uncle Bobby, were determined. Eventually, we got some good intel. We went to the American Colony Hotel in East Jerusalem and found an Arab taxi driver called Faisal. We had an amazing adventure. We just went through the border checkpoint. It was super easy, but as soon as you get in, there's a wall and there's a huge mural of Yasser Arafat with the word free next to it. And immediately, you know, it it hits you. And then like a few, like not even a kilometer later, there's a huge Coca-Cola billboard. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, wow, this is so normal. Like we're just in another city. So Um, a lot of traffic, a lot of, I mean, traffic everywhere. Yeah, it definitely is. So then our goal was to get to Dr. Tamimi with the Palestine Hydrological Society and um, got a little bit lost, which is cool because then you get to see the city. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know that we were really lost. We were just driving around. Before we talk with Dr. Tamimi, a little bit of context. Here's a clip from 25 years ago when the Oslo Accords were signed. What a sight on the 13th of September, 1993 when then Prime Minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, with then President of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, Yasser Arafat, signed the Oslo Agreement with US President Bill Clinton. Today, with all our hearts and all our souls, we bid them shalom, salam, peace. This laid a foundation for Palestinian self-rule although numerous difficult points remained to be worked out between the eternal enemies. At last, peace had a hope. We who have fought against you, the Palestinians, 
we say to you today in a loud and a clear voice, enough of blood and tears. Enough. Thank you. Thank One you. of the difficult Thank issues you. that was left till the end of what was hoped would be a final peace process was the equitable distribution of water resources. Unfortunately, peace has not been forthcoming, and so those complex and thorny issues around water have remained unresolved. We sit down with Dr. Abdel Rahman Tamini, the director of the Palestinian Hydrology Group for Water and Environmental Resources and Development. Dr. Tamimi has spent the last 32 years working in the field of water resources in the occupied territories. During the last 19 years, he's focused on water resource management and planning at the regional and national levels. I start by asking Dr. Tamimi to help us get situated. Ramallah is, is the, uh, in the middle of the West Bank, and it is a very uh, liberal city and at the same time growing very fast. It's a peaceful city in terms of the internal security because it's a very liberal city. The people, they accept the others, but it is not peaceful in terms of relation with Israelis. Always there is a clashes between the people in Ramallah and Ramallah villages with the settlements, Israeli settlements. What is a settlement? The settlement is, is, is the nice name for colonies, actually. This is the definition of occupation. The Israelis, they come and take water uh, water and land by force, of course. Most of them, they are coming for uh, economical reasons. They have free land. They have free water. They, they have a lot of incentives from the government and also totally protected by the army. So tell us, like, from a very basic perspective, what the water issues are. In Palestine and in, in most of the Mediterranean countries, water is political, social, economical issue. And what is the main the driver of the problem? We have very limited water resources because we are in semi-desert area. And we have a huge demand, population growth, economic development, uh, and urbanization, uh, climate change. All these drivers uh, making the water issue is very complicated. And at the same time, the Palestinians and Israelis, they are sharing the same aquifers. Uh, sharing the same aquifer means everyone, uh, th- the Israeli side and the Palestinian side, everyone tries to make... Uh, uh, his share uh, bigger. Uh, that's why the, the whole conflict is about how to share the cake. You can't live without uh, enough drinking water for one day. That's why the, the water issue is is main driver for conflict. And uh, it's, it's uh, part of the uh, clashes between Palestinians and Israelis because everyone wants to, uh, to control the water resources. And unfortunately, the political dimension of this problem is uh, the Israelis, they claim this is their historic right, their religion right, and the Palestinians, they have the same claims. Ultimately, you know, for equity, everyone needs to share the water because there's limited water and more and more people. So how, how is that happening? 
equity with incubation doesn't work together because you come and occupy another people land another people water and use it for your benefits without taking into consideration the interest of other side which is the palestinians in this case that's why the the conflict the core of the conflict there is occupier and there is occupied uh, and the relationship between the occupier and occupied like in uh, any any case in the world it is always unbalanced unjust and unfair so where is the water Unfortunately, we have two resources of water, very limited. Groundwater, which is from rain filtrate to the groundwater, and this is over-exploited. And also we have the Jordan River. The Palestinian quota before 1967 used to be around 250 million cubic meters from the Jordan River because the Israelis, they consider it as a security zone. Now the Palestinian share is zero, while the, the Iberian country, Jordan and uh, and uh, Lebanon, Syria and Israel, they take their their share from the uh, Jordan River. While the Palestinians, not only they don't uh, allow, uh, the Israelis, they do, doesn't allow to us to go to the river uh, to to take water, but to see the river, we we have no no permission to go and to see the river. If you did go and see the river, though, there's not much water flowing. The Israelis, they diverted 75% of the river to inside Israel in the project called National Water Carrier. And what we see now in the Jordan River, it's not actually the natural flow of the river. It is the Tiberias City uh, wastewater. How are farmers existing now and, and what have they had to do? Before 1967, the, the Jordan River areas in Palestinian side, uh, we had uh, 27% of the agricultural areas under irrigation. And the main source was groundwater and Jordan River. But now is less than 1%, uh, uh, 1% of agricultural area under irrigation. Has the population of farmers grown or shrunk in the last 40 years? Because in the the Jordan River only you have uh, agricultural based communities and most of them now they move to the cities because no water available for agriculture that's why they are going to to work in Israeli settlements or in in Palestinian cities. The, The agricultural land shrinked and the population numbers also reduced. So what what is the remaining agriculture? Our agriculture is family-based agriculture, and the people just, they want to sustain their livelihood. It's not an economic process at all. So when you look at kind of the history of water in the region, Either there is a cooperation between Palestinians, Jordanians, and Israelis to share fairly the the available water resources, or the conflict will continue, and water can be a a driver for peace if there is a cooperation, or a war if there is no cooperation. So let's start with peace. So tell us... What, what would a vision look like for a better equitable solution? We have two concepts. The first concept is uh, the existing water resources in the area from 
Jordan River until Mediterranean. It's one hydrologic basin. And from engineering point of view and from technical point of view, you cannot divide this is Palestinian water, this is Israeli water, because our water flows to Israel, Israeli water flows to Gaza Strip. That's why we have to recognize this natural uh, parameters, natural restriction. We cannot talk about this is our water, this is Israeli water. The second concept is to, to talk about water uh, from uh, two angles. The first angle, water as a basic human right. If you are a Muslim, a Christian, Jew, settler, Palestinian, uh, you have the basic right to drink enough water. If this formula accepted by Israelis, there will be no problem to share the water. The second thing, the Israelis, they have to give up the the Cubayar mentality. And the Palestinians, they have to give up the Cubite psychology. How does the socio-economics play into this? Of course, any solution should take into consideration the affordability of the people of the cost of water. For example, the Israelis, they have the high technology for desalination, and the Israeli income is uh, 29,000 per capita a a year, and the Palestinians is around 1,500, which is large gap. The Israelis, they can afford for desalination plants, which the Palestinians, they cannot. This should be taken into consideration. The second thing, we our argument based on a human right issue, there is a 32 declaration, uh, international declarations and conventions consider water as a basic human right. Now, regardless your nationality, to have uh, a village without water uh, and uh, next door settlement, Israeli settlements, they have a swimming pool. This is not from political point of view, from a human rights point of view, from dignity point of view, it's not acceptable. That's why in our organization, always we talk about dignity of the people. The settlers, they have the right to drink water, but they don't have the right to overbump our resources to, to grow flowers or to do swimming pools, because the neighbors, so-called neighbors, they are uh, actually in bad need for drinking water. Are there any fora or discussions about these issues or is it just they don't even want to talk to you? How is this issue being moved forward? The solution is difficult. It's there on the table, but it is difficult the implementing of the solution for water problems because politics uh, are the main pollutant for water problem. The Israelis, they don't want to give up uh, the mentality of Ecubayar. This is our land, we take it by force, and the Palestinians are customers, not citizens. The Israeli technical people, always they believe in what we are saying. But the political people, no, they want to see the Palestinians customers for Israeli desalination plants at commercial bases, not as citizens in their country. If you go to the Israeli headquarter, so-called civil uh, civil administration to manage the whole West Bank, uh, the the head of water department is a military officer. That's why his his always his practices is military practices more than water management at technical uh, basis. So why don't the settlers practice water conservation? 
some settlers they came from rich water countries who came from Netherlands or came from Europe or came from Russia he never thought about water problem and he kept the the practices showers swimming pools flowers which means water for us and this is deluxe for Middle East actually deluxe life that's why the Israelis when they talk the settlers about shortage of water they talk about uh, less luxury life when we are talking about shortage of water we talk about uh, about drinking water we have no we are thirsty we are thirsty i'm from a village which water running once a week once a week and some some villages they receive water two hours a week that's why if you look to the roofs of the palestinians full with the storage tanks black uh, black storage tanks this is one one thing from one side. The second side, the Israeli government uh, gives in incentives to the Israeli settlers by uh, uh, the price of water. The price of water in settlements is uh, is subsidized, and this is the only place in the in the in the world water for drinking and agriculture subsidized is Israel. And so the the settlers and even Israelis themselves are bringing kind of a European attitude. That's why the uh, the average consumption now of Israelis in West Bank settlers is around 450 cubic meter per capita a year, while the Palestinians is around 140, 150 uh, cubic meter per capita for all purposes. And also uh, the population of Israelis settlers in in Jordan Valley, for example, is around 6,000. But their consumption is a large amount because it's agricultural settlements. They they control a lot of lands, large areas, and they produce uh, uh, products which is uh, high water requirement. Driving through Ramallah today, we were struck by how many rooftop rainwater catchment. Uh, it's not rainwater. It's they collect water from a network because they receive water once a week, or and they store water for the next the next week. And most of the houses in villages they have rainwater harvesting uh, systems to produce water. The food security, water security of the Palestinians is threatened because there is no enough water. As a result of having so little water, it seems like you're doing everything to squeeze water wherever you can. Tell us about some of the innovations. And we have a huge public awareness campaigns to save water and not to waste water, to use the gray water, which is not uh, wastewater, but it is without bathroom water, uh, to use it for gardening, for uh, production trees like... uh, uh, olive trees or uh, other things and at the same time we encourage people to collect rainwater during the winter and use it in the summer there is a lot of um, uh, activities just to make uh, addi- uh, to make Palestinians have additional water and uh, in the same time the water harvesting doesn't need Israeli permits that's because they cannot catch the rain but if you want to drill deep groundwater well there is a long procedure from you, you need to take a permit from Israelis. Does the Palestinians control the wastewater authority or do the Israelis also control that? 
the according Oslo agreement, all water resources, which is include wastewater, as under Israeli control, and this is uh, delayed to the final status negotiations, like refugees, Jerusalem, and uh, border control. This is uh, still uh, resources under Israeli control. Now, to su the supply and to manage this water uh, operation uh, under Palestinian, but it is uh, similar to you do business, but I control your bank account. So it's amazing that water is up there with Jerusalem and these very big issues to be left to the end. Yes, because it's very complicated. And the Israelis, they are not in rush to solve the water problem because they want to squeeze us to purchase Israeli desalinated water. How will you be able to afford it? They don't allow us to improve our economy, to be able to uh, to afford the cost of uh, desalination uh, water. And at the same time, they want us to purchase the desalinated water. Even the Palestinians able to afford why we have to purchase water from Israel while our natural water, fresh water, under our feet. So tell us about that resource, the, the aquifer, the groundwater. How big a resource is it? The Israelis, they use nowadays directly and indirectly 80% of our water. And what is left is 20%, which is not enough for drinking, not enough for agriculture, not enough for development. And and the huge problem is the climate change. The, with the climate change, our rain becomes bad, bad, bad distributed and less uh, rain and the water level going down. And that's why in, in, in 20 years, our aquifers, our groundwater, will be overbound. So we talked about what the peaceful, potentially peaceful solution could look like. What, how would conflict evolve? There will be micro wars. I'll tell you how. The Palestinian villages, they will start attacking the pipes of the settlements. They will start attacks the, the settlements' water infrastructure. This is the only way. And this is happening now in Hebron. Some Palestinians, they uh, steal water, but uh, this, is, this is the only option they, uh, they are left with. Vandalism will start and micro clashes between Palestinians and settlements because water will, will start soon. How far would you have to dig down before you hit the aquifer? It depends the area. For example, in the Jordan River areas is 200 meters, but in the mountain areas reach to 800. But if I was a farmer in the Jordan River, a Palestinian farmer, and I had a drill rig, would that be illegal? Would the Palestinian no. would they not be allowed? Would they need a permit from Israel yes, to do that? Yes. They, you need a permit, and the Israelis uh, you can't imagine daily they monitoring the Palestinian farmers daily by uh, remote sensing, by satellites, by uh, ground uh, checking teams. All these things is happening every day, and there is a lot of problems because the Israelis sometimes they discover there is uh, illegal well, and they come midnight and close it. And what does that look like when they come at midnight and close it? They put cement inside it. What does a solution look like to you, Dr. Tamimi? Now the Dead Sea shrinking and uh, the water level lowering uh, around 80 centimeters a year. And the expectation in 2050 there will be no, no Dead Sea. Without recognition of the Palestinian human rights, the Palestinian dignity, there is no solution. I am optimistic because uh, the, Israelis, the Israelis, if they don't compromise with Palestinians now, they will find themselves in the future in very bad situation. I don't like to see painful days to the Israelis, but they are going there.
if you solve the political problem, then the water problem technically, uh, hydrologically can be solved. Engineering solutions is there on the table. There is no thing impossible. But the Israelis, they have to understand there is other nations living in the same area. Most of the people who are living around the Dead Sea in both sides, in Jordan and Palestine, they will immigrate to another place. And in my opinion, they will go to the Israel. And the Israel, they have to, to deal with that. And this is the biggest problem will face Israel. A flood of people goes to Israel as immigration. And the Israel, uh, the Israel geography cannot, cannot absorb all these things. That's why the Israelis' future is not good if they co continue to occupy another nation. Wow, that was pretty intense, that meeting. I, I mean, I've never learned so much in half an hour in my life. It's shocking, some of the stuff that he was talking about. Just, I mean, just the difference just between how much money they make in Israel versus in Palestine and water usage. I mean, I just don't pay attention to enough stuff. It's, it's painful almost to hear it. It's a human right. It doesn't seem like we should be playing politics with water. Yeah, I never would have thought about it in that context to make it an issue um, that people don't have access to quality or quantity of water and you know it's disturbing i mean it was kind of like you remember when you and i were in east porterville talking to those folks in Versalia, and and uh, the guy was telling us that you know two years ago east porterville they had no water at all for months this is another place like that it just it's it's hard to believe especially in the context of just coming from tel aviv where there's so much of everything tel aviv has tons of water so the biggest surprise I saw on your face when we left the office was the KFC in Ramallah. Well, I mean, look, I love KFC. I don't eat it that much anymore. But I mean, yeah, it is surprising to me to see so many uh, American franchises here. Hanadi was originally going to come into Ramallah, but she couldn't. So now David and I and Faisal are going out to visit her in the countryside. And um, just looking at the countryside around us, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we have Faisal because we would be lost right now. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, David, we actually are lost right now with Faisal. But I don't have to worry about it. It's not our responsibility. He can figure it out. I feel comfortable. I mean, look at the top of the buildings. There. Look at all the, the, the water structures. It's, it's nothing like I've ever seen. So like every building has five or six or sometimes ten black water containers, but... I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's almost like everywhere. I mean, it's it's one of the first things you notice driving through the countryside. It looks really um, biblical, like what I imagined when I thought of the Bible. Like you've got these terraces, you have the olive trees. Um, the only thing which is more present than the olive trees is the trash. I literally have never seen so much trash ever. It's like somebody took hundreds, thousands of trash bags and literally emptied it on the street in the countryside. Yeah, it's really, really sad. We're coming up on Hanadi's house. There's kids everywhere playing in the streets. Yeah, they're having a good time. Finally, we arrive in Betelu, where we are greeted by Hanadi Baba and her family. Hanadi works with the Palestinian Water Authority and is an expert on water and gender issues. Okay, maybe start by just telling us where we are right now. Uh, 
We are in Betelu. You are welcome in Betelu village next to Ramallah. It's north and east of Ramallah, about 16 kilometers away. Now you are in our home. You are mostly welcome in our home. That's Thank you so much for inviting us. We really appreciate it. You are welcome. You are. So how many people live in the village? Uh, about 4,000. Uh, there is uh, also the public services like uh, uh, water network, electricity network, uh, clinic, medical clinics, and so on. Maybe tell us a little bit about the current water situation here. Our situation is very difficult according to everything. Uh, and water, of course, is a political issue. Sometimes in summer there is no water for uh, two, three months, mainly in Bedouin uh, communities, mean in Hebron, in uh, rural area. So what 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 does that feel like? Um, that uncertainty about water. If you if if you don't have water for three months, whether you're a Bedouin community or in, in Hebron, what does it feel like personally? I feel angry. Uh, because I know there is an enough water for all, but there is a human-made borders. <laughs> and when you compare your situation, even as Palestinian, with other Palestinian people, you feel shame, you feel, you know, sad, you feel this mixed feeling, you know. We have to, to fight more uh, to, to have a solution, a real solution, to, to remap, the water situation in Palestine, and to, to negotiate in more uh, powerful way to get and uh, to raise the water for, for our communities. Uh, it's not, it cannot be delayed for the, the final uh, uh, negotiation. It should be uh, solved right now and right here. So how could that happen? To fund more projects uh, like... Uh, humanitarian projects, and so on. When you think about this issue, just sitting here in, in the village, do you feel connected to the rest of the world, or do you feel isolated? In some times I feel connected because of, uh, you know, my network, my professional network, and uh, sometimes with it, when it becomes to a higher uh, level of decision-making, I feel I am useless. There is no thing, nothing to do. You are uh, subordinated. You are uh, restricted from doing many things. You know everything. You see everything, but you cannot do anything. How do these water issues affect you and women in Palestine yeah. particularly? It acts more burden for women because, you know, uh, in traditional rules, women are the end users. The, the, the large amount of water uh, managed by women uh, for uh, house, uh, household uh, you know, issues, for uh, agriculture, for many things. So I think it affects women more than uh, anybody else. Uh, because I see when the, when the, the water supply is uh, stopped, the, most, the first one who said, oh, what happens is my mom because she realized that she cannot do her uh, maternal rule. And you don't give them the, the, the facilities or the, the tools to do that, they will uh, feel like they, are, can, they cannot uh, do their, uh, their job 
in a perfect way, which makes like a stressful uh, burden, physical, psychological, mental, uh, emotional, all of these stress will be, will be uh, a part of her life. And you can imagine after that, if you, if you live in a stress, you cannot keep your uh, children clean, for example, your kitchen clean, your, uh, it can uh, act like a big burden. And I think women will pay for that. So how does your faith in Islam give you optimism about the environment in the future? I believe that there is no one can uh, live this life without God protection. And water, uh, climate change, environmental, agricultural, all of these things are uh, within uh, God decisions. We are just actors. And we have to, to play, okay, we have to play in act, in very active and clever way, but at the end, it it's, goes to God. Tell us a, bit, a little bit about agriculture in this region. Yeah. Uh, every person here and every family here in the village has like a field. Most of them are not capable to reach their lands or fields because, you know, uh, settlements and so on. Where is the settlement? We can all go over the, the roof and uh, show you the settlement. Okay. Uh, it's surrounded the village, yes. And they, uh, you know, uh, capture the fields uh, near the, the settlement and uh, make it difficult for people to, to go to the, their field. Another thing, they cut or they burn the trees. Yeah, they, they cut our trees. Today, da, uh, dad go to the field to, to pick some olives, so he cannot reach his land anymore. They threaten people. You can see from our top of, uh, roof, we can, you can see the settle, uh, settle, uh, settlements around the village, and you can imagine. So what is the history of the settlement? How did it happen? 86, the first one. It keep growing. Uh, they, they, you know, attack people in their home. Why? It's just that, like that. Because they wanted to force them to leave the, 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 the place. So how does the settlement um, that's around your village, how do they have water? You know, every place in, in Palestine has its unique uh, story with settlements. Uh, for example, in Betillo, they, uh, they stop us from reaching uh, certain springs denied us from reaching our uh, water resources there. But at least we have the network. In other places, uh, there is no networks. So uh, all the whole water goes to the, uh, the settlers and keeping the, the indigenous population without water. The personal uh, water daily uh, intake for the, the settlers uh, more than 350 liters per day and for Palestinians not, uh, not more than 70 and you can imagine yeah so the, the large amount of water uh, goes to them and we we don't have our uh, you know minimum water uh, inside uh, this settlements uh, they have like swimming pools they they wash their car with uh, more than thousands uh, liter 
per time. At the same time, the near villages like Al Mizra Al Garbiya here, uh, there is no uh, water the, uh, at the whole week. Just one one day per week, they have the the, the water in their uh, networks, and they cannot even t uh, drink. To compare the the suffering here in front of the water welfare there, you know. Uh, but if there was an equity with water sharing, all uh, will drink in, and uh, you know have their activities, agriculture, cleaning, uh, uh, whatever you want, in in, in very uh, equitable uh, manner. So in terms of like daily things, washing, cooking, um, you know, we do lots of things with water that aren't just drinking it. Tell us about kind of what it feels like. We don't take a long-term uh, shower because we don't have water. You know, it's the the difference is uh, is between what you want and what you uh, you have. I will not take a long uh, shower because of others, but I have the choice. You know, we don't have the choice as Palestinian communities. We don't have because we don't have. Water, enough water. How do you think about, like, oh, we can only use this much for cooking, next week the water's coming on a Thursday? I mean, how do you think about it in your daily life? It's a mom issue, you know, it's a mom uh, task. For example, you can take a shower for this, in this day. Uh, we, can, we can reuse the, 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 the water. Uh, water from a washing machine can be uh, used for. Uh, uh, agricultural aspects uh, or for bathroom or something like that. Uh, we can sometimes use disposable uh, things uh, so we, we will uh, keep a small amount of water not to wash dishes and so on. Uh, and uh, for drinking water we buy uh, potable water which costs, which, which costs of, of course, you know. You have to spend money on buying drinking water because not because of the quality just the quantity the quality is very good but the quantity is not enough that's it so you you have to to get more uh, more water is it likely that there will be a solution is it likely that there will be conflict or how do you see this playing out there will be a very big conflict I think it will be a regional uh, conflict. There is a, a, a very, very uh, big issues according to uh, transboundary water here in Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, uh, Palestine, and so on. A very big conflict uh, regarding water. And of course, will be a solution. But how much it will be, I don't know. Maybe it take 10, 20 30 years, who's not? It was so cool to just be invited into her house. I really appreciated that. Yeah, they were very warm. Her father brought us uh, some juice and then some tea with some mint. It was very welcoming. Even now, like, I don't know that much about the settlements. Um, I, you read about them, you hear about them. There's lots of different perspectives. We're not going to kind of be able to untangle that issue. But I was shocked looking from the top of her hillside village that basically she was encircled by settlements. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I don't understand why you would want to live in a settlement in the middle of 
the west bank surrounded by a perimeter of barbed wire like it doesn't even seem like the they're definitely not coexisting it seems very disruptive to having a you know like a good neighbor and being able to just appreciate life there's this sense of kind of collective responsibility towards israel and towards the palestinian issue at the same time when israel's criticized or when we criticize israel like you and i are just having a frank conversation people take it very defensively i feel that also like i almost feel guilty thinking why are they doing this why don't they just get out of the settlements it's like but at the same time like i haven't lived here for 50 years i don't know what they've all been going through but it is very disturbing to me to watch it and witness it and wonder what you know everyone else is feeling what's everyone else doing no matter what the circumstances there's no scenario where i can think of a political or other moral reason that people should be denied access to water i agree i mean it's it's i don't understand it it's not really a political issue when you hear somebody tell you that the settlements are using 60% of the water that's going to palestine your head just like pops you're just like are you kidding me they're 5% of the population and they're getting 60% of the water like i can and then the amount of money that the fact that they make you know $1500 a year versus almost $30,000 a year it's just at a human level it feels really painful to see people who have water so for instance when we were with Hanadi they have springs that they can get water from but the checkpoints prevent them from going to the springs and the fact that some people get water once a week for a few hours a day and then they have to store that water top of their house in those the black towers they just don't get it, it doesn't make sense thanks to Faisal our amazing driver Dr Abdel Rahman Tamimi and Hanadi Bebe with her entire family for being such gracious hosts in Ramallah. I've attached links to both Hanadi and Dr. Abdel Rahman on the page to this week's episode at podshipearth.com slash Ramallah. There is a deep sense of isolation in the West Bank, and I know that you reaching out to these two amazing individuals would be most welcome. I'm so glad that David and I got to visit Ramallah, where we were treated with warmth and respect and never felt anything but completely safe. Many of us feel shame and frustration when we see bottles and cans being thrown into the trash instead of being recycled, or when we forget our metal water bottles at home and have to buy a single-use plastic water bottle, or when we see images of climate change on the TV but don't know what to do. Next week, Podship Earth explores the issue of green guilt. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and me, Jared Blumenfeld. Ma'asalamah.